0: We're on a series, a 12-week series called The Believer's Family, and we're working off of one passage. Uh, If you have not been here yet and have not followed us, we're working off one passage found in Ephesians, and yes, the passage will expand as we're going to talk about children, but when we're talking about family. It's really um, the husband and wife uh, carries a lot of weight in the structure of the family, so you'll see that we're spending multiple weeks on trying to figure out how to be successful um, in that regards of, of being married. And so let's just look at the passage, and we'll work through what uh, the Word wants to challenge with us today. Ephesians five twenty-one through 33 says this, "...submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also church, uh, wives should submit to their husbands in everything." Husbands love their wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, as we look through this passage, we've been working at a lot of verbs, that are there, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That means husbands submit, wives submit, go underneath to lift that person up. And then it moves from wives submit to your husbands as he is a the savior. Then husbands love their wives. These word, these verbs are driving the passage. But as these verbs are driving the passage, uh, we can consistently say, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know I need to do this. I'm supposed to love, I'm supposed to submit, I'm supposed to serve, I'm supposed to to give, but there's one thing that we just don't talk about very often, and that is, why is there such an overwhelming conflict in our marriage? Why is there so much conflict even inside of me in the process of being married? I mean, I don't have this much conflict with anybody, and all of a sudden I get married and then I have this massive amount of conflict with the one that I'm supposed to love, In fact, nobody makes me more mad than my mate. Why is that? Nobody makes me more mad than my mate. It seems like we just constantly argue. I don't argue with anybody, but then I come home and it seems like we just always have an argument that it's on the table. Why does she make me so mad? Why does he make me so mad? And why was it never like this before? All of a sudden we get married and the. You turn into an explosive, frustrated fireball, and you don't even know where it's coming from. There's this conflict that happens. I think you guys know what I'm talking about in regards to the conflict that, for some reason, just arises, not with everybody in the world, but arises here often with our mate. I'm going to talk about it for the next two weeks, uh, where that conflict is coming from. and uh, It's founded in two different words. The conflict in marriage is based upon hurt and hunger. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about hurt this week, and we're going to talk about hunger next week. But hurt and hunger can be located to every single argument that has ever taken place in the past. And if you go through an argument this next week, hurt and hunger will be the driving force that is sending that argument that is happening. So when we look at the word hurt, we want to look at three different categories. What we need to know, what is the problem? And then what is the solution? So what do we need to know? Number one, just things we have to know. As a result of sin, we all suffer from hurt. Hurt comes into two different categories. It comes in from feelings and also scars that could take place in the past. Feelings, you feel what? Feelings of inadequacy is a pain that many people, many people have. I'm inadequate, therefore... I carry a load. I carry a weight. I carry a frustration that does not feel good. A concept of thinking that you're weak is a pain. Is a hurt. I'm inadequate. I'm weak. I'm not strong enough. I go to work, and I'm not strong enough in my position. Everybody else is way above my level, and all of a sudden, the judgments start to take place upon ourselves. I'm not very smart. I'm not very beautiful. My appearance is not what it should be. You know, being married to my wife and raising two daughters, she just said a comment once before is that ladies will just judge their body and appearance no matter what they look like. No matter how beautiful they are, they're just always judge your appearance and judge the body. It's a weight, it's a pain, it hurts. And as it hurts, it consumes our emotions, it consumes our thoughts, it consumes our action, it consumes our behavior. We don't feel like we're good enough, it's hurt. We don't feel like we're successful, we feel unsuccessful, we feel unconfident. It's a pain, a weight that is on us. We feel guilt from maybe past raising our kids and looking back after your kids are raised and say, well, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do this? I wish my kids were involved in church, but they're not because of what I did. It's a weight. It's a pain that sits inside of us that it hurts. Past sins, past relationships, past divorces. So we have all these pains that are taking place that are in our lives, and when we walk in the door, they're, they're there. The other thing is that scars, things that have taken place in the past, maybe those are being raised from an alcoholic parent. Maybe it's, it's being raised from an abusive parent. Maybe it was a sexual abuse that took place when you were young. Maybe it was just the concepts of walking all the way through junior high and high school and then into college, and you're the one that was ignored. You're the one that was sitting on the bench. You're the one that was treated as somebody that, ah, I don't have it on me now because of what happened then, and therefore you're still carrying it. Every one of us hurts. In fact, I heard a preacher once say that when people walk into your doors of the church, this advice was given to me, he says, you don't need to make people feel guilty. You don't have to beat people down for service. You don't have to throw even more weight on them because we come in the doors with all of our hurts and when we first walk in. It's already there, and we, we feel it, and it is heavy on us. And every single one of us, Faces it. Number two, another thing we need to know is marriage does not bring us into conflict with our spouse. It brings us into conflict with ourselves. When you get married, every inadequacy comes to the surface. Every inadequacy comes to the surface. Why? Because as soon as you get close to somebody, you don't necessarily see that person. What you see is yourself starts to arise. And then those inadequacies start to haunt you. They start to torment you. Every attitude that you even had all of a sudden comes to the surface. I mean, your behaviors, impatient, moody, angry, it all comes to the surface when what? When you become married. When you get close to somebody, you're able to see exactly who you are. I'll never forget the time that I was dating my wife now. But uh, the time that I was dating quite a few years ago, I was driving through the town of Salem. And I grew up in the town of Gold Beach, and they only had one stoplight. And uh, one stoplight I mean I didn't have to wait for traffic. You know, you just drive because it's not a very busy town. And then I get to Salem, and I'm sitting there driving. It's like stoplight after stoplight after stoplight. And they don't form in a way that you would have green, 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 green. They form in a way that you have red, 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 red. And every time you show up at one, it turns red on you. And I was a little frustrated. It's like, why in the world are they always red every time I pull up? And my girlfriend at the time, you know, said, which is Jody, um, you are the most impatient person that I have ever met. And I'm like, you know, people could call me different things, but nobody's ever called me impatient. And I am not impatient. In fact, I've never been impatient in my life until you came into the car. (laughs) And she's my point exactly. All of a sudden Your behavior rises when somebody else is in the car. And as somebody else is in the car, you all of a sudden get to see yourself. In fact, all the scars that have taken place in the past, they come to the surface. They come to the surface. An abuse that has taken place in the past, you can hide it. You can shove it. You can ignore it. You can pretend like it never happened. But then when you get married, you know what's going to happen? You're going to have to face it. Why? Because all of a sudden it rises to the surface. An absent father, a father that would never tell you that he loved you, a mother that beat you and abused you. All those things you can hide and you can put down and say, okay, it's no big deal. But once you get married, all of a sudden you walk up to your mate and all those things start to rise to the surface. Why do they rise to the surface? The reason why they rise to the surface is they are there. And when you get close to somebody, they start to come up, but you can always get away from somebody. You can get away from a good friend. You can get away from parents that will bring things up to the surface. But when you go into a marriage relationship and you get close, you get extremely close, what happens? All those things rise, and you can see who you are, and you can't leave, almost in a sense that you feel trapped. And in the process of feeling trapped of all these things rising to the surface of who you are, you have to do one to two things. You have to deal with yourself, or you're going to destroy your marriage. That's how it works. You have to deal with yourself or you're going to destroy your marriage. You have to face with what has taken place or you're going to take and leash out on your marriage. It's just things you need to know. So what is the problem? Why is it so aggressive? Why is it so hot? Why is it so strong? Here's the problem. Number three, hurting people hide. You ever had these thoughts or words that come out? Many people in their marriage have these thoughts. They have, think like, why don't you talk to me? Why doesn't my mate talk to me? Why do you feel so distanced? Why don't you share your thoughts? Why are you ignoring me? Why don't you care? Why don't you let me know what is going on? Why don't we have sex anymore? Why are we not connected? Why is there just a wall, a barrier that is in between us? Why can't we come together and be close? You know, We have these thoughts to our couple, to, our, to, to inside of our marriage. Well, what's going on? When we hurt, we hide. We put the walls up, and then we step back, and we refuse to give ourselves away. Why? Because of pain. We come from it naturally. I want to go back to Genesis. After the marriage took place with Adam and Eve, sin all of a sudden entered the system when they were deceived by Lucifer. And watch what the reaction is. Genesis 3, 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord of God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord, got among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to them, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. You see shame, you see guilt, you see fear, and you see a reaction to it. I cover myself up and then all of a sudden I hid. There's your block. The block comes from our mates because we are hurting individuals. Number four, hurting people are blind. My wife and I um, usually get through arguments uh, rather quickly. We try not to sleep through the night without the argument being done. If we do sleep through the night, then we try to clean it up the next day and make sure the argument is done. And and as a result, we do have a peace when the argument is done. But there is one in particular time in our life that uh, we had an argument for one day, and that carried on to day two, and then day three, and day four, and all of a sudden it went one week, and then it went two weeks, and three weeks, and then one month, and then two months, and three months, and you know, we, we're working through this argument, but it was not getting done. It was, there was no peace, there's no rest that's taking place in this argument for three months, and what we're doing, we're going to work trying to survive this argument that is there, and as we're going to work, what do I do at work? I do marriage counseling, <laughs> so people will come in and say, "All right, let's let's do some some marriage counseling." So I'll um, um, talk to people, and it's just really interesting watching people react um, in counseling. If they're a, a new couple, one usually sits on one side, one sits on the other side, and it's like, "Okay, well, you know what, what's going on? What would you like to have? What would you say? You know, bring up the you know the issues, and we can we can uh, um, sort things out." And and it's pretty consistent. The issue is them. So whenever the person gets to talk, it's like you won't believe who I'm married to. In fact, if you would see her, and and if you could even, you probably not even understand this, Mike. But it is this bad. She is that bad. Yes, I am married to somebody who does that. I know it's completely shocking. I cannot believe what they do. I cannot. And then you go across the aisle and say, "Okay, now it's time for you to talk." And then all of a sudden, it's the opposite. Well, no, you won't believe who I'm married to. And then it starts, it starts crossing, crossing the table. Now I know that this is going to happen when I go into counseling. So you know, I have some worksheets, you know, to break it up a little bit. And I have one in particular worksheet that are called abuses. And uh, what we do is in an argument that we um, do these abuses. It's not necessarily beating, although sometimes it it does take place, but they're little subtle abuses for the purpose of tearing somebody down and controlling the field is what they are. So this is my worksheet that I hand people under verbal abuses, and it has a whole bunch of different ones that are mentioned. Here's some verbal abuses, accusing, blaming, gesturing. The other category is pressure tactics, guilt-tripping, sulking, and outing. You know, they're not horrible, but do you know what they are? They are abusing your mate by doing them. Uh, They have disrespect is interrupting, not listening, and twisting words as they are giving. Emotional withholding is not expressing feelings or or lack of attention or refusing uh, to listen um, at all. So these are just abuses. that are all on this paper. And the reason why they're on the paper is because we abuse our mates and we don't even know that we abuse our mates. So I hand these sheets to two different people and I say, all right, what I want you to do is I don't want you to... Make the statement of what your mate is doing. I want you to circle all the abuses that you've done in your relationship through this conflict that you guys are facing. And do you know what the response usually is? Oh, my goodness. I don't think I have any of them. But it's like my mate has a, almost all of them, <laughs> a majority of them. But I don't see anything. That, I'm not doing this. I'm, oh, my goodness. But you should see what he's doing. You should see what she's doing. And And it's interesting just listening to the concept of... <laughs> When we start thinking of abuses, it's not on me. It's actually on them. Well, I did this one in particular counseling session, and, and I had a lady literally say the word, I think my husband does them all, and I don't do any. And I wanted to say, you've done five right now since we've been in counseling. I mean, they're just, they're just small abuses, but you know, I, I, I didn't say that. And, uh, and then they uh, um, left. But after they left, I sat down on my desk and I looked at that sheet. And you know what I saw? Goodness, my wife in this conflict is doing this, she's doing this, she's doing that, and she's doing the other. And I said, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a red-pink and I'm going to circle all the things that she's doing in regards to this conflict that has lasted for three months. So nobody's around, I was at my desk, and I was going to be gentle, but boy, was the red ink hitting in regards to, oh my goodness, oh yeah, oh pity me, oh she's horrible, I can't believe what she's doing as I circled all the abuses that she has given me in this three-month conflict. But since nobody was listening and I wasn't going to tell anybody, I said, you know what I'm going to do is try to be as honest as I can with myself and I'm going to circle the abuses that I'm doing. And I look across and says, I don't have any. <laughs> no, no, I tried to circle them and tried to be real. And I started to put them down and circle and all my abuses in the process. And then I was done. I looked at the sheet of paper. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I have more than she does. I have more than she does. And I went home, rather frustrated, threw the paper down in front of her and says, I did this stupid report that I always give people. And I noticed I have more abuses than you have on me. And I just want to say, I'm sorry. And I'll get f- off. Conversa- the argument was gone. Is over there because what what is arguments about is that what happens is we don't see our actions when we're hurt and then all of a sudden we're sending them across to the other person and that person receives the hit and as soon as they receive the hit the hurt takes place so they receive it back and we don't see anything we're saying or anything we're doing and all we do is receiving what they did and we're responding and everybody's just grasping for air saying the one word don't you hear me when i talk can't you see that I'm hurting? That's what, this that's what the argument's about. 75% of our arguments. Can't you hear me? Can't you see my perspective? Then aggressive words across the statement for the purpose of making sure that they hear you. But those words are strong. And as those words are strong, all it does is just consistently come back. And when I said the words that I had more abuses than her, it gave the marriage air to say that, you know, We're messed up, but we're forgiven. My wife and I look back at that one comment, that one conversation that that I had, and we hang on to it because we've always got to look at ourselves. Because remember what marriage does? It brings you to the surface. Not them. It brings you to the surface, and then what do you do? You lash out when you start seeing yourself. We come from it naturally. Genesis 3 says this, and he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I have commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit, so I ate it, of the tree, so I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is it you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and then I ate it. Look at Adam's words, probably some of the most aggressive words in Scripture. The woman you put here with me, she gave them to me. Who's he blaming? He's blaming God. He's not blaming the woman. He's blaming God. Everything was perfectly fine until you put her here. But God, since you made the decision for putting her here, look at what she's done. It's your fault, and it's also her fault. Why is he doing that? Because sin just entered his system, and he feels the pain. And as soon as he feels the pain, what's going to take place? It's going to be everybody's fault but yours. In fact, we think about the words that would come out of our world today is that, I hate God. Hear those words. I'm just mad at God. I'm just frustrated at God. Why are we saying those words? The reason why we say those words is because we hurt. And as soon as we hurt, all of a sudden, well, I can't believe God would do that. And all of a sudden, the aggression starts to go off of us. Not in on this, but off of us and then aggressively towards others. Hurting people are blind. Number five, hurting people hurt people. Worked at Hillcrest Youth Correction Facility and just met a new person that actually worked with me during the process of Youth Correction Facility. And and as you work in the Youth Correction Facility, uh, you're working with um, kids that have done horrific crimes. But there's a consistency with the crimes that are taking place, and this is a consistency. Abused people abuse. The sex offended, sex offend. The violent offended, violently offend. What has happened to you then crosses the street to happen to somebody else. And it's in our lives as well, because the way that you hated and despised your parents talking to you, you talk to your own children. Whatever takes place to you, it all of a sudden comes out. Why would you do such a thing? It's because the hurting people hurt people. It's just, it's just a reaction that it takes place. Genesis 3, 16 describes that. Speaking of the wife. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Your desire means that I will tell him what for. He will exist for me. He is there for what? Filling my needs, and I will tell him what for. And then all of a sudden it says, but watch out. Your husband thinks the same way you do, and he has more strength. He has more power. He is a man. And all of a sudden, he's going to demand rulership over you. And it's happened three years. It was between husband and wife male and female, how men have dominated women just because of their strength, just because of their strength. But do you see the friction? When sin entered a system, we hurt, therefore, we're going to go out and we're going to hurt others. That's the fire that has taken place in marriage. That's the burning frustration that is there. We are a hurting people. What's the solution? I mean, if you look back, I mean, is there any sort of solution whatsoever? Number six, we need to live in marriage, live as if marriage was about redemption. We need to live as if marriage was about redemption. There is one word that is the most powerful word in the English language, most powerful word um, in the dictionary, the most powerful word word known to mankind, and that word is the word love, is the word love. In fact, the word love carries so much power that it reprograms your motions. It reprograms your heart is what the Bible says. It reprograms your thoughts. It, it reprograms your heart. It actually reprograms your thoughts. It reprograms you completely and entirely. It makes you into a different person. The concept of this word love. We see it take place in the gospel. We see Jesus leave heaven and come to earth live a perfect life, a life that you could not live, and then move to a cross, taking all your sins and putting it on his shoulders, and suffer and die because of what you have done. An extreme statement of love. And then go to the grave, and as he went to the grave, he rose again three days later, and now lives for you. I mean, think about that gospel. A statement, an entire statement of love. And when you look at the attributes of God, when you look at the attributes of the Creator, when you look at the the power, the majesty, the glory in the Old Testament on who God is, and then you watch that love go to a cross and say, it is about you that I will die. It is about you that I will raise again. And when you see that love, what's it going to do? Reprograms you. Reprograms your heart. Was Paul's heart reprogrammed when he accepted Christ as his Savior? Paul the Apostle was walking the road to Damascus for the purpose of what? Killing Christians. I'm going to kill them. I'm wiping them out. And all of a sudden, Jesus appeared to him, and it was a shock to his system called salvation that Jesus says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, I'm not persecuting you, I'm persecuting them. By persecuting them, you're persecuting me. And look what I've done for you. I've died on the cross for you. And I rose again so you can live. And all of a sudden, Paul the Apostle believed. And that act of love had such an impact on his heart. He was completely reformed. Completely reformed. And what did he do for the rest of his days? Telling the world about this amazing love that was offered to him through that gospel. Why is he reformed? Because that love gave him a new identity. It gave him a new strength. It gave him a new home. It gave him a new worldview. It gave him absolutely everything. Christ was not seen, and all of a sudden Christ was believed, Christ was accepted, and it brought a transformation that took place, and it's all under the concept of this word love. We are hurting people, and the place that we will find freedom and strength is only in Jesus Christ and his redemptive work with a concept of the love that came behind it. But then we've been given another gift that's on this world. Do you know what that gift is? The gift of marriage. The gift of marriage. Yes, God has given us amazing love that completely reprograms us, but then he's given this other love that carries a lot of strength in this world to reprogram you. In fact, your spouse spouse's love has the power to reprogram your self-image. In fact, what the, what your spouse says carries a power to make you think differently literally about yourself. You feel inadequate and all of a sudden your wife says, "Inadequate? You're absolutely amazing. You're absolutely everything that I wanted. You're absolutely everything that I needed." You can't feel inadequate with what we've got here and the connection that we have here. When your mate starts speaking like that, do you know what it's gonna do? You're gonna walk out with strength, even if the whole world says you're inadequate. You get back home and says you're adequate. You're just like, oh my goodness, this love that my mate is offering me carries a power. Carries a power that reprograms even your thinking about yourself. You feel weak? Your mate says, Why do you feel weak? I need your strength. I use your strength. I love your strength. I need your strength. I starve for your strength. I don't know what I'd be without your strength. And all of a sudden your mate's going, maybe I'm not so weak. What is it doing? It's it's a gift from God. Marriage is a gift from God to reprogram your thinking. And that one word that is driving the gospel is the same word that God has commanded mates to do with each other. Love each other as Christ loved the church. We underestimate the power of, we have as mates. So when we say the words, what's going to take place? Healing can take place in the response of saying it. But also remember that because you got close and you rise and you're really close to somebody and you have this power, saying a negative word will do the opposite direction. The opposite. Negative comments about a body will destroy a body if a mate is making those negative comments. It'll destroy a person. It carries the same weight. You think that it's just a small BB gun that you're shooting at somebody. Well, no, it's a it's a cannon because of the words that are coming, the words that are coming out, and what is said during arguments are words that are not um, going over people's heads, but the words that are sinking so deep. And when you look at these words, other people can say those words and they will not have near the impact as when your mate says those words. And when your mate says those words, it will sink so deep into the soul hurt will take place and remember what hurt people do they they fight back they again lash out the passage that is given to us in ephesians chapter 5 is all about redemption in fact look at all the words that are taking place inside the passage they're to redeem build heal strengthen your mate ephesians five twenty-one. here's the verb submit to one another What does the word submit mean? It means go under. That's what the word sub means. Go under. Mit means send. I send myself under for the purpose of what? Raising that person up and making them strong. Since Christ went under and died on the cross for me and rose me up to make me saved, I'm going to do the same thing with my mate. I'm going to go under. I'm going to lift him up, lift her up for the purpose that she can be healed, for the purpose that he can be healed. Submit to one another, a redemptive word. Ephesians 5 wives, submit to your husband. He is the Savior. Wives, you want a good Savior? You know, Paul is, is putting these words in, the, in a direction to the wives because you want a strong man. And you carry so much strength to make him strong. Therefore, go underneath, lift him up, and make him the Savior that you've ever dreamed about, the Savior that you've ever always wanted in regards to somebody that is here on this earth. Ephesians 5.25 says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Look at the first two words that are in that verse. Husbands, love. And then all of a sudden it says, The same way I do. And here is the result of the way I love, using that one powerful word in the English language. Here is the result of what takes place. It will make you holy. It will cleanse you, wash you, made you radiant without stain, wrinkle, or blemish. That's the weight of that word and what it carries. So God is saying, as if I've done it, now I want you to do what? Do it to your wife, is what that passage is saying. An aggressive word with a massive amount of power we have as men. And how do we use that power? Ephesians 5.31, we get more verbs. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. You see the connection all the way through? When it starts talking about a mate's power, Christ has to be in the center of that because he carries the ultimate power. So he's rocking it back and forth. Do you see the power that I have to reform and transform individuals? You get just a touch of that power. I mean, it's not not nearly as strong as Christ, but you get a touch of it with your mate. Why? Because we all need to be healed. So what should we do? We should walk into our marriage with a redemptive concept on our mind. Walk into our marriage with a redemptive concept in our mind. We are redeemed by Christ, but we can save words to our mate that will build them up, that will touch them, that will heal them. Next thing we need to do is confess your wounds to Christ. Again, he is the ultimate healer that gives you the identity, that gives you um, gives you adequacy when you feel like you're not inadequate he's the one that gives you strength when you feel like you're weak he's the one that will make you beautiful when you don't feel like you're beautiful he is the one that will make you successful even if you're not successful Jesus Christ is the one and what are we supposed to do we're supposed to confess before him so what we can be a new creation in him that's where all the all the meat is at that's where all the strength is at but when you look at this word confess what does it mean what does the word confess mean if you look at the word, it, it means speak out. That's all it means. It means just just speak out. Does that carry any power, just to speak out? Think about this. If we confess Jesus before men, he will confess you before our Father. All you have to do is speak out, and what happens? You're a whole new creation. Your entire eternity has changed just with the concept of speaking out. Yes, speaking out carries an absolute amount of power. It carries our salvation. It carries the peace and the strength of our salvation. Just speak out and you will be saved. Confess your wounds before Christ. It also carries a massive amount of power into our hearts. Speaking out and saying words completes healing. Do you believe that? Well, if you look at the counseling ministry, um, it's a multi-billion dollar ministry. And in a multi-billion dollar ministry, it must be working. Something must be going on in counseling where people are being healed otherwise it would not be a multi-billion dollar ministry what is going on in counseling session what is going on in a counseling session because I went to a counseling class that is in seminary they give the counselors instructions that they are only to speak 20 percent of the time and your client is supposed to speak 80 percent of the time that's it and as you're speaking what are you supposed to do you're supposed to ask questions to get them to talk more Just ask questions to get them to speak out more and then guide them in their questions to get them to display themselves. That's what counseling is. See, they're they're tricking you as what they're doing. You're thinking, oh, I pay so much money for counseling. He's only talking 20% of the time. She's only talking 20% of the time. And why do you keep going back and paying so much money is because it works when the counselor talks 20% and you talk 80% because when you speak out, what happens, healing starts to take place in your heart. When you start saying it with your lips, what happens? Healing starts to take place in your heart. Do you see the power of confession? Literally just saying the words brings healing there. Here's Christ. Confess your wounds to Christ. Tell him your wounds. Tell him your hurts. Tell him your pain. 1 John nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This verse is talking about sins that we do, but it can also talk about sins that have been done to us, which would be the wounds that we did not do, somebody else has done and placed on us, and we hurt as a result. Therefore, if we put those out there with the words of our mouth, what happens? We will be purified. We'll be healed. Letter 8, confess your wound, wounds to your mate. Not to stereotype, but we are different people. Men and women are, are, are different people. And, uh, and you'll see across the data lines that um, ladies um, talk more than men. They, they do. In fact, they have 12,000 words on the average of a day, and men have about 6,000 words on the average of a day. And another thing about ladies is that they're very, very, very in tune with their um, emotions. And men are not so as in tune with their emotions, but, but the ladies are very, very in tune with emotions. It's a gift that he's given ladies that the men don't have, but he's, he's put us together to be stronger in that regards. So if, if our wives, which is even called the weaker vessel, which what, what would that mean? What that means is it could be even be a strength that I'm so in tune with my emotions, but therefore I'm going to struggle a little bit more with my pain. I'm going to struggle a little bit more even with my hurt. And so as ladies talk. What is the man supposed to do? What is the husband supposed to do? He's got to be there as so though somebody listens. He has to be a listening machine, somebody that listens intently because as words are being spoken and as words are being said, she is healing. And it goes across with men too because men need healing as well. But as it's taking place, healing is starting to take place in the relationship. And remember what hurting people do. Hurting people are blind, hurting people are hurt, and hurting people hide. You don't want your mate to hurt. Bring healing to them in regards to just even listening to them talk. Confess your wounds to your mate. It might look like this. I feel inadequate, and I don't want to feel inadequate. I feel weak, and I don't want to feel weak. I don't feel beautiful, and I want to feel beautiful. Just a simple statements of those words being brought up. Digging inside of herself. because remember what marriage does? It shows us herself, and as soon as you see it, just say the words out loud to your mate. Number nine: Confess past wounds that continue to haunt your relationship to Christ with your mate. Most powerful thing we could do as a couple is to pray. Pray as a couple. Ninety-nine um, percent of people that pray together do not separate. Carries a massive amount of power. But let's even take it a step further. Confess past wounds that continue to haunt your relationship. To Christ with your mate. Just give you a couple examples. Say, my father would never say he loved me. What do you do? It's something that has impacted you, something that you're carrying, something that carries a weight. You're going to talk to God with your mate present. Say the words, God, I feel inadequate. My father never said he loved me. In fact, I feel like there's a hole that is there. I feel like there's a need that is there, and it makes me mad. It makes me angry. Please, God, heal me from that past wound that has taken place. And again, who's sitting next to you? Your mate. As you're talking to God, extreme amount of power. Raised by an alcoholic mother, you can just say the words, God, my life feels out of control because it was out of control there. Therefore, I am a person that controls my children, a person that dominates my job, a person that has this sin that has taken place years ago, and as a result, I've reacted to this sin, and I need healing. And who's sitting next to you to reaffirm you? Your mate, as he's listening to you, as she is listening to you, pray and bring this confession forward. Some of the things that Um, that are even more drastic. One out of four have been sexually abused. What we do is we hide it. We push it. And when we get married, what happens? It arises and it comes out in our arguments whether you like it or not. In fact, the screaming that takes place at another mate might be a screaming of something that took place in the past, a hurting that has taken place in the past. We've got to get rid of those if the marriage is going to survive. So how how do you get rid of them? Just bring that kind of stuff right before God with your mate sitting there suffered from sexual abuse and I just hate. Anger is just fuming inside of me. I am frustrated and I'm dominated by the frustration that is happening. I am not close to my husband who's sitting right next to me. I'm not close to my husband as a result of that because I am so angry and I cannot forgive and I cannot let go But God, I beg you and plead for you to set me free from what has taken place in the past and as a result, your husband or your wife sits there and just affirms you. Powerful, powerful connection. Marriage is designed for redemption, designed for healing. Number 10, make forgiveness a top priority in your marriage. We are saved by that one word, forgiveness. What does that mean? It means we are rescued. We are brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. We are redeemed. We are washed clean. We were once dead, but now we are alive. We were once lost, but now we're found. And it's all directed on that one word. Because we are forgiven, we can literally say that I am free. Uh, one person, the mates, husband and wife, that we are supposed to set free, we often tally marks against them and refuse to forgive them. The one person that God has given us to come close to, to set free, we often put the tally marks against them. And when we put the tally marks against them, it's like, no, you said this, and I'm not going to let go of that. The reason why Jody was, um, I was given to Jody, that God gave uh, Jody me, is so she would be a forgiving machine. <laughs> Because she looks at me, and as she looks at me, she's like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to have to forgive constantly, and I'm going to have to forgive fast, and I'm going to have to forgive quick, quick, because I'm married to Mike Dadara, and oh, my goodness, he sure takes advantage of that for me to be a forgiving machine, so i got to forgive, 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 The opposite occurs as well. The reason why we're married to our mates is so we become forgiving machines. Since we've been forgiven by Christ, I'm going to practice it a lot in my marriage, And the reason why is because if I can complete that inside of my marriage, who I'm close with, I can complete it outside of my home as well with anybody I come in contact with. See, God is trying to make us into people that are forgivers. He's trying to make us into people that are strong, that are good, that are healthy to go out into the world with. And then all of a sudden he puts us together for the purpose of doing just that. We have to be very quick at setting our wives free and that is forgiveness. We have to be very quick at setting our husband free, and that is forgiveness as well. Number 11, marriage is not designed to make you happy. It is designed to make you holy, and holy people are happy. We often go into marriage and say, marriage is designed to make me happy, but we're out of in touch with reality because the only people that are happy are people that are purified, which is what holiness means. People that are clean, which is what holiness means. People that are set apart, which is what holiness means. People that don't have sin, the destruction brought into a relationship is what holiness is mean. Holiness means that you function the way you're originally designed to function before sin entered the world. And if you function the way you're designed to function before sin entered the world, what's going to take place? An awesome marriage. And when we, us, rise as individuals when we get married because that's what happens we rise as individuals we see it it is coming up to the surface for a purpose that we can see it and then we can respond to it not that we can see it and then lash out but that we can see who we are and then aggressively respond to it for the purpose of making us holy that was God's purpose for marriage that was God's design for marriage we need to rescue each other inside of our marriage God, we just thank you for the gift of marriage and the power that it has. And I pray for every marriage that has taken place in this room, that is uh, represented in this room right now. And I also pray for those who are not married yet. We just pray, God, that your purpose will be reigning in their heart and reigning in their actions. God, this world needs strong marriages. This world needs strong families. And we ask, God, that we would be committed to your purpose to make that happen. We love you in Christ's name, amen.